you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Justin Marusu. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thanks for having me here today. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. And Justin, there's people around the world who don't yet know who you are. Would you mind giving a quick introduction to who you are and your background so people sure. get to know a little bit more? Sure. My name is uh, Justin Baruzzo. Uh, I just launched a uh, new podcast called Marketing and Service with Justin Baruzzo. Uh, I also, as my day job, am the uh, head of marketing for a education company that provides musical services to private schools and Catholic schools and parochial schools across the United States. Awesome. That sounds fun. And um, Justin, you, you've been in the game for a few years. Um, so I, I'm sure we will have a very interesting conversation today. But if we just kick off, um, before before we started here, we talked a little bit about sort of your unique view on, on some of the management side of things. And I really wanted to kick off with that and start with that, really. So you mentioned that from a customer service perspective you always see customer service not really being an operational thing but really being part of the marketing department and um, could right. you tell us a little bit more about that and how you how you view that in general yeah sure so actually it's kind of funny how how this philosophy came about i i was having a conversation with my wife and and we we had some interaction at a store where it was just a pretty poor sales experience and I remember thinking to myself, God, I'm so happy I have never been in sales or any type of commission-based sales job. And my wife looked at me like I was insane. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I've always, you know, I've had, I've never had to be like a, you know, I've never been like a door to door. She's like, you've been in sales your entire life. Literally every job you've ever have been in has been sales. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, yeah I guess you're right. But I, I never, I never felt the pressure, or I just never felt like a salesman. I always thought a salesman was someone who tried to get people to buy stuff that you were selling. Uh, I always viewed myself as someone who was just a conduit to help someone get to the place where they needed to be. Uh, so I never really looked at it as sales. So my philosophy uh, throughout my career in marketing has really always been a focus on the customer journey. Uh, I believe my purpose is to, again, connect the customer with what they need. Uh, I'm not reaching out to them saying, hey, you have to get this or I get a better commission on this. So I want you to buy this thing. I never really cared about that because my thought was always that the long-term trustworthy relationship was most important. Uh, a lot of my early sales jobs were all in my community. So these are people that I knew. These are friends. These are family. This, you know, I, I, I've lived in New York my entire life. So I see the same people. So I never had that opportunity to feel like I could you know, try to pawn something off on someone and then hope I never see them again. Uh, so that, that kind of led to the whole philosophy of mine, which has always been put the customer first. And, and I know it sounds cheesy because everybody says this, uh, but when I dig a little deeper into it, it's really putting a dollar value on what it's worth to keep a customer for life. What is their lifetime value? And why do some companies spend so much on marketing? Like I, I'm talking you know, big corporations that spend 
millions, if not tens of millions of dollars on marketing a year. And then they will screw you over for the smallest little thing. If you have a beef or a complaint, they will not budge. And they'll say, see you later, go somewhere else. And it never made sense to me. Why? You know, what, what does it cost you to, to appease this customer? It's certainly much lower than whatever your acquisition cost is for a new customer, because we know you're spending tens of millions of dollars to make this happen. So that's kind of the framework for everything I do is how can you best serve a customer and build a relationship for life? And I believe that that happens kind of, a, a, the only way I can say it is at the intersection of marketing and customer service. Uh, there's an overlap there, which I, I think companies are starting to explore. Uh, I see it more and more often now, especially with some of the, the, the younger startups. Uh, but I would like to see it a lot more in small business and certainly in, in big business. It's, it's something that's lacking. Yeah, I think it sounds very interesting, right? And I think also, I think also the, the sort of, let's call them the new business model, maybe sometimes make that a lot easier, right? Because I think a lot of companies now, they're, they're not necessarily leaner, but the, the whole business model, like when you look at a product business, right? Like you have so many different modules and everything get complement, compartmentalized a lot and so on, right? right. But when, when you're looking, for example, as a, as a software tool or something like that, right? Like there's just much less components to a business like that. So actually having an overview and, and so on, being able to, to really run a more lean organization really is, is much more possible. Right. Sure. So I th yeah. think that probably also enables some of that potential change. Right? Yeah. And I love that you, you suggested the, uh, the software tools because anyone who's ever had to really use any type of uh, tech or, or subscription service model, if you've got an issue that's not answered on the, uh, the frequently asked questions page, you're not going to get a human being ever. Uh, and, and again, even, even, you know, I don't like to drop names, but even like large corporations like Amazon, you know, their whole business is based on customer service, right? But if you've got an issue that doesn't fit in to that typical, hey, I just want to return this, or I just want to exchange this, you're going to have a really hard time getting someone on the phone and resolving that issue. And, I, you know, it, it's, there still has to be a human element to build those relationships. I, I really genuinely believe that you're not going to be able to build those really good relationships without some type of interaction with a human being. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And then, so I, I would say definitely, I mean, I've worked with companies like Amazon uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and particularly when you go the other way around, like if you're selling products on Amazon's platform and the like. Disaster. It is an absolutely horrible experience. Horrible in every experience. Way, shape or form. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. That, so I, uh, uh, a division of my, uh, the company that I work for, we do sell a lot of stuff on Amazon. And uh, yeah, I was shocked at how poorly the back end of Amazon is built out when there's so much focus on the customer. Uh, I mean, literally every time we ship them something, there was some type of problem where they would claim something's missing. Uh, I mean, just problem after problem, software issues, websites that would be down. Uh, it, it, yeah, dealing with the back end of Amazon is an absolute nightmare. And a great example of, I'm an Amazon customer. I'm an Amazon stakeholder. Yep. I'm an Amazon vendor. You know, treat me right in all those areas. Don't just focus on on one part of it, right? I mean, it, it makes sense to it makes sense that they have a primary focus, right? I totally get that. But 
yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like if you screw everyone over that ever do business with you, you you might get to the point where you say, hey, we're big enough. We don't give a shit, right? And right, right. That is what it is. But in the end of the day, like it, it, it leaves a lot of people with a funny taste in their mouth. And exactly as you say, like you, you want as many fans as you possibly can. And that's definitely a way to not get that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, when we talk about customer service, one of the uh, kind of the, the, the litmus test that I always ask everybody, if I was to say, what is the best customer service experience or, or yeah, yeah, the best customer service experience you've ever had in your life. You could probably think for a second and come up with one that really stands above the rest. And when I ask people, what's the second best customer service experience you've ever had? Usually they've got to think about that for quite a while and it becomes a struggle. And of course, if I ask what's the third best, 95% of people can't even come up with an example. And considering how many engagements in today's world we have with businesses on a daily basis, it's a pretty sad state of affairs that most people can't come up with even three examples of when they felt they were treated really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a um, very, very yeah, mind blowing to some extent, right? Because yeah. I think so many businesses just look at customer service as a thing that has to be done kind of an annoyance more than anything. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, it, it's potentially a big, big opportunity that you're missing out on right. and they all say they have the best customer service in the world but it's it's just it's you know there's there's some companies that really do take it seriously uh but there's a lot that say oh yeah you know lifetime warranty and we'll do anything and then when you actually have a problem it's like yeah sorry i can't help you good luck you fell for that one <laughs> yeah yeah gotcha <laughs> yeah it, it, it's interesting because like very often when I, I personally work with clients, I always say that the customer service generally have to reflect the type of product and the type of price you have, right? So like if you're selling, I don't know, $1 water bottles, you know, by nature, you can't necessarily afford to, to pay for the same customer service as sure. someone who is selling sure. Ferraris, right? Right. Uh, like if you're selling Ferrari, you definitely 100% want to make sure that, you know, your customer service is absolutely yeah. top-notch, right? Because what, when you have a premium product, that's what people expect. Right? Of course. And I think one of the things that I like to focus in on is uh, look at the restaurant business, right? Uh, you can go to a five-star, incredible, top-end, you know, steakhouse or one of the best restaurants in New York City, and you're going to have an incredible experience. Uh, you, you, the wait staff's going to be incredible. The ambiance is going to be incredible. The food doesn't even matter at that point. You're you're so sucked into this experience that food actually becomes not even the primary source of enjoyment while you're experiencing this restaurant. But you go to another restaurant, let's say you go to a diner, a, a little backwoods diner, and the experience is terrible. Everything is horrible. And maybe the food is mediocre. The thing is, what is the difference between the job of the waitstaff at a diner and the job of the waitstaff at a five-star restaurant? The job is literally exactly the same. It doesn't cost more money for the staff, the wait staff at the five-star restaurant to treat you with respect and be polite and be personable and know what the specials are off the top of their head. That doesn't cost a penny more than it would cost at the diner. But yet you never go to the diner and get the experience that you get at the five-star restaurant from the staff. Yeah. 
I mean, there's something like, you know, some really nice restaurant, they might also carry a little bit extra staff and so on. But in in general, I 100% agree, right? So like most of the time, it's much more the mindset. It's much more the actual the actual place itself and how they how they value customers and how they value experience right right now of course on the other end of that if you're at the five-star restaurant you know there's a lot more at stake your tip's going to be a lot bigger at the end of the night there's a lot more money on the table for you to be these this special uh provider of an experience or even an entertainer to some extent serving food Uh, but if you're aspiring for that job and you work in a you would want to bring that. Like I, I don't my personally, I always want to bring my A game to whatever I do. Yep. Right. So that's, that's one of the things that, that really led me down this road to, to try to better understand why is it that some companies find it so challenging to provide a, a great level of, of service? Yep. No, I, I totally agree. And, and what, one of the things I've seen being a big one, and I mean, I've worked with huge corporations and I've worked with tiny businesses and, all this kind of stuff. But one of the things I always see is it's often the prioritization of it, right? Is one. Um, and, and the secondary is it, it's, as you say, it's just not a priority in many cases. And uh, that, that can definitely be a shame because it, it is right. a potential big opportunity, right? But um, like I, one of my businesses that I run is an outsourcing company and we, we've helped quite a few businesses set up uh, 24-hour chat support, for example. Sure, and that's something that's made a huge difference for many businesses because, but particularly like um, e-commerce companies and so on, right? Where right, right, very often it's the difference between people ordering and not ordering. It's yeah. not just a question of oh, they'll but just have to wait longer. That's not the question. The question is, you know, they're sitting looking at five different websites at the same time. Yeah. They're trying to figure out where should I buy, and if your website doesn't answer the question, they will ask in the chat. And right. if you don't respond, they will buy it somewhere else. Right? Exactly. There you go. And like the, definitely we, we have one client with some apparel and so on. And uh, the, the amount, the increase in sales they've had from in, uh, adding 24-hour customer support or, or just yep. adding chat support have been like way more than they ever expected. Right? Yeah. Yep. That, that talks exactly to that point, right? People. I, I love that. Love that. And, you know, that, that kind of, that brings me to a, 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 another thing, which is companies need to enable employees to do their job. Right. So if, if you've got someone in, in chat or you've got like, we've all been there where there's a chat, but the person really can't answer any questions, really can't help you. And, and, and they're, they've been basically handcuffed and not allowed to do anything. Uh, or uh, let me check with my supervisor and, you know, come back 15, 20 minutes, a half hour later. Uh, one of the stories I always tell is I, I, when I was a kid, I worked at Sears and Sears at the time, I, you know, I think they're out of business now, but at the time they, uh, they really pushed this uh, empowered employee philosophy where they basically said, Hey, listen, you're a cashier. Uh, you're, you're, it's a minimum wage job, uh, but you're empowered. Uh, if someone has a problem, if they want to return, so if there's a box that's dented and you want to give them a discount or they ask for it, you don't have to get the manager's approval. Just do it. Keep the line moving. Keep everyone happy. And of course, there were some limits with this. I mean, you couldn't just be giving stuff away for free, uh, but it, it stuck with me. I, I was probably 16 years old. I'm 40 now, but that always stuck with me that 
And it made so much sense. Like, of course, like what, you know, the time that it takes to hold up a line in a retail store and go try to find a manager. And now it's 20 minutes have gone by. You've got nine other people who are now pissed off that they can't check out. It's like, what, what's the point of this exercise? Just so a manager can say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And, and turn a special key on the cash register. Uh, and I, it's crazy to me that that was so long ago and it's still not a mainstream prevalent thing that's happening in our, in our business climate. Yeah, but I think it very much come back to this. I mean, from a business owner perspective, particularly, right? Like people are much more afraid of losing money than exactly. they're interested in making them, right? right? And that's always one of those things that have stuck for me. Like I, I've done, for example, stock trading since I was 15 or something, right? Which yep. is unfortunately many years ago. Um, but but the whole thing, like if you if your stocks drop like 5% or something, you're like in agony. And if they go yeah. up 20%, you're like, okay, that's all right, right? But but it's like this this sort of losing money is just very, you have to learn to, to get the mindset right around it. And that's where most business owners are when they're looking at their business. They're so afraid of an employee losing them 10 grand or something. But the whole thing is that even if worst case scenario does happen, the amount of savings you've had for not having to deal with all that right. stuff over a longer period of time is so much higher, right? And people actually learn stuff and they actually enjoy doing the work instead of just feeling like a slave. Right? Absolutely. And one of the things I tell clients on this front is just like anything in life, test it. You don't have to go all in. You know what I mean? You don't have to go all in. Take, take a you know, take a, a few dozen clients, I, whatever, whatever the scale is for your business might vary, but uh, just test it in a small market or test it with a small group of customers. Say, you know, I'll give this extended service or, uh, you know, I'll double the warranty and monitor it and see what happens. Do, does it actually cost you more money? Because in my experience, uh, I was working on a project and we were trying to figure out, uh, you know, how long should we give a warranty on this? And when I say this is a real warranty, this is like, we would really take care of this. This is not like, yeah, it's a warranty, you know, pay a million dollars to ship it to us and prepay the shipping for you to get it back. And in the end, it'll be more expensive than buying a new one, but we'll get to say it's got a, a good warranty. No, this was a real warranty situation. Uh, and I, you know, we're, uh, should we do a year? Should we do two years? So why not three? Like, you know, and we, we, we had the benefit to have some historical data to look back. How many people actually send this product back? Uh, and, you know, it was about 2%. And I'm doing the math in my head and I'm thinking, how important is a warranty when someone's making a purchase decision? You know, at the point of purchase, consumers look at that and take it very seriously. And they'll look at one thing and say, okay, this, this thing's only got a one-year warranty. This one's got a three-year warranty. And it makes them feel good. They, they know that they're protected. And the bottom line is how much is it going to cost to service that warranty? And you're right. It might not always be worth it. You might lose more money than it's worth, but you got to at least test it because the reality is most people at the point of purchase, warranty is really important, but two years down the line, they don't care anymore. They forgot. They don't even remember where the hell they bought it from, much less what the warranty was. And they certainly know they don't have a receipt. Even if you wouldn't ask for one, they would just assume they would need one and they move on and they buy something else or buy another one of whatever it is that broke. Yeah, but it, it's totally correct, right? And, and what, what you see is, it, it's also the feeling, right? The, the thing is, if you're, if you're looking at a product and the manufacturer is confident enough to say, you know, 
we trust our stuff, this thing doesn't break. So, you know, we happily give you a three-year warranty. If something happens, we fix it. Like that's also, a, for me and personally, that's also a show of confidence that shows that, you know, the people behind it actually believe in this product. So even if it's not even about the warranty, but just sort of the quality of the product, like right. I, I'll bet you, you, you'll see people buying for that reason alone. So it, the, the challenge with testing is you might actually get increased sales just by doing that, right? <laughs> And then that's exactly where I was going with this, right? So if you if you test this and you find, hey, adding the warranty has helped me increase my sales by twenty percent, uh, and I've made you know X number of dollars more, uh, the cost of serving that warranty has remained unchanged. At this point, it's all profit. You know, you, when you've added this extra warranty, there's no cost associated with it, or it's so minuscule that it doesn't matter. Now, of course, again. It all depends on what you're selling, what your profit margin. If you're selling a, a 99 cent charger cable at a gas station for a phone, the thing is that people don't expect that's going to last more than one time. Yeah. You, know, you don't go to a gas station to buy a charger cable. You're there because you're desperate and your phone is dead. And if you can get one charge out of it, it's worth the 99 cents you paid for it, right? Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, Justin, um, Take, taking this to the next step then, like what, what when, when you're working with companies, like how, how do you recommend them starting with this approach and how do they, yeah, how do they get moving on it? Sure. So a, a lot of companies I work with are usually smaller businesses, uh, you know, let's say less than 20 employees uh, in most instances. Uh, so the, the first thing I like to do is a, uh, I guess you could just call it an audit of their current reputation uh, and their current service strategy and their current marketing environment. Uh, you know, uh, it's crazy, but like a lot of businesses miss the easiest things and, and the, the most impactful things, like uh, something as simple as a, a, a my business listing on Google, right? Uh, it's amazing how many companies just don't have one. Uh, yet Google has become like the number one driver of business for so many businesses, especially in the local space. Because now it's just normal to say whatever near me, you know, pizza near me, uh, tractor sales near me, uh, you know, uh, print services near me. And people type that in and that is entirely driven based on the data that Google has from their business listings. So if you have a business and you haven't completed in full and some people just will, you know, they'll sign up and they'll put a phone number and that's it. But you really have to take the time to build that out and, and do it properly and populate it with as much information as possible, because the better you are with that listing, obviously the better the SEO is going to be, especially if, if it's a local business that's not serving a national market. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also the, the one thing I would say, what, what I always notice with myself is I look at images because sometimes when you find a place in Google Maps, you're kind of like, does that business still exist? Is it actually a real business? Is the yeah. address correct? And yep. like you always have these, uh, I mean, I, I live in Asia a lot of the time, right? So the, the, let's, let's say the update rates here are not as frequent. So uh, I have multiple times went to some location for just business being closed down five years right. earlier, right? Sure. Um, so, so, but, but I, I'm really eager, like to see, see a picture or like particularly seeing the place from the outside or something just sure. so that it can actually help me find the location. Right. Of course. Tons um, of photos, right. Where, where am I? What's the neighborhood? I, I know now you can do the 3d tours of an inside of a, of a store. It's really cool stuff. Uh, second thing 
I always look at is, is reputation management. Uh, this is a big one because consumers rely so heavily on reviews. And I, I find a lot of businesses don't even look, they don't even know. Uh, and, and, you know, you've got your Google reviews, you've got Yelp reviews, but then you've got the kind of off the, off the trail reviews that are like in private Facebook groups. Those are a lot harder to find because if you're not in the group and it's private, you're not even going to see it. Uh, but being aware of the conversations that are occurring online about your business and being on top of it. And if there is any type of negative sentiment, it's important to be able to tackle it in a professional manner. And this is another, another thing that I see, especially solopreneurs, they get really defensive if their business is attacked because it's an attack on them personally. You know, they are their business, right? They are the brand and they, they, they take it very personal personally and they usually respond in a very inappropriate fashion. Like, ah, what the hell do you know? You don't know anything about what I do. You, you know, you broke it because you're an idiot. <laughs> Leave me alone. Right. Uh, all the so, time. All yeah, the so, time. So reputation management is, is, is super important in, in, uh, you know, growing those relationships and, 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 you know, processes for service. Because again, the whole point of service is building trustworthy relationships. Uh, so it's that, actually, sorry, it's actually one of the things that I, I say a lot, like sometimes a negative review can actually turn out to be a positive thing. If you understand how to answer correctly, right. because everyone know that there's a bad experience occasionally, right? Yep. And the thing is, if people feel, oh, okay, you know, this person had a negative experience, but, you know, the, it was answered super professionally. They knew what they were doing. They gave a clear explanation to what happened and so on and so forth, right? That can actually end up being like a positive signal because sometimes when you're looking at, at a listing or reviews and they're all like, oh, the best place in the world. And, you know, you're kind of like, ah, that sounds a bit too, too good to be true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I love you brought that up because uh, in my experience, the biggest brand advocates I have are all ones that had at some point left a bad review. Uh, and the thing is, is that, like I said about trying to come up with the good experiences, the expectations are so low. I mean, pathetically low in the service sector that it doesn't take much to blow someone away. If you actually fix the problem they're having, and you do it quickly and efficiently, and if you admit it was a mistake, because we all screw up. I mean, come on, everyone screws up at some point, right? You make mistakes, own it, own the mistake, admit it, fix it, and make it right. That puts you at a level that's above 90% of every other company where they either don't want to, or they don't care, or the people involved don't have an interest that's vested enough for them to, to, to take the time to make the situation right. Uh, but I, I mean, it's the biggest opportunity a small business has. Like, you know, you're not going to compete on price, right? Uh, the only thing you have to compete on in, in the global economy that we're in right now is service, respect, and, and doing the right thing, making customers happy. And again, that those expectations are so low of the consumers. It doesn't take much for them to be like, wow, you're the greatest company in the world. I can't believe you went out of your way to do this, right? Yeah. Another thing I'll always say is, uh, uh, you know who your best customers are, right? Uh, almost any business owner, big, small, medium, doesn't matter. You've got a couple of whales. 
you're right. You've always got those two, three clients that are, they're kind of running everything and uh, they're your best customers. Do something nice for them. Yep. Literally, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for an instant action item right now, take those three top customers and do something nice for them. And again, it, you can scale this based on what they're, they're worth. If they're a, uh, you know, if they're a $10,000 a year client, you know, uh, get them a gift card to, to a restaurant uh, with a thank you card for how much you appreciate their business. Uh, you know, if they're a million dollar a year client, uh, take them out to dinner to a really nice place or buy them a gift, something special, something personable. Uh, you know, do a little research, find out, oh, you know, they, uh, this person loves the Giants. You know, I'm going to buy him some cool New York Giants, you know, something that's nice for this client because you know that they're the ones putting the food on the table. And most importantly, because no one else does it. Right. And yeah, yeah. And, so uh, and we've all get caught up where, you know, you work so hard to get new customers at the expense of the customers you already have. Yet we all know that it's much cheaper and more effective to market to your existing customers than to try to get new ones. Yeah. That's always in, in some of the competitor areas like mobile phones and stuff. That's always one of the things I'm like, they, they're giving away phones and they're doing all this stuff to acquire a new customer, but they literally shit on their old customers yeah. every single time. And it's like, yeah, exactly. I should say like, it's, it's crazy because it's, it's, yeah, it makes no business sense the way they're, they're managing things a lot of time. Yeah, it's so easy to beat up on the cell phone companies. They're so bad. Uh, I, I won't say the name, but I was with a company for 20 years straight. And I, I called them to tell them I was considering another offer. And they just said, yeah, go for it. Have fun. That was it. I mean, not there was not one second spent trying to retain me as a customer. I was shocked just shocked. And, and that, that's again, one of these things that led me down this road. It's like I'm watching these ads all night long over oh, every commercial break, you're spending, you know, 10, 50, a hundred thousand dollars, get these commercials out. Really? You're not going to do anything after 20 years. You're not even going to ask why <laughs> it's, yeah. it's crazy, crazy world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Justin, um, Obviously, you, you've spent quite a few years around different types of jobs and so on. But if we look at it from a management standpoint, what's what's sort of the the biggest mistakes or the biggest boo boo you have ever made? Yeah. So as far as mistakes, I, I can say from a management viewpoint, uh, probably one of the the biggest mistakes uh, I would admit to making is not necessarily taking the time for proper employee evaluations. Uh, and, and part of it is because uh, at the time, I always thought it was goofy because of the jobs that I worked at when I was young, it was never taken seriously. Uh, you know, you'd have a manager whose job was to write employee evaluations, but they didn't actually care. And they were only doing it out of frustration because they had to, because someone else was telling them they had to do this. And then there were always things like, well, no one's perfect. So you're not allowed to give, you know, five stars for, you know, across the board. There's always something that it was always these things. It was just like, well, what, what's the point of this exercise? You know, you, I'm always reviewed well, uh, year after year, uh, you never really give me any advice that helps me grow. So that made me jaded as I, as I moved more into management positions where, uh, I just thought it was stupid. I was like, this, this is dumb. This, you know, doesn't make sense. I don't think it's good for anybody. Nobody appreciates it. Why bother? Uh, but then when you run into issues 
uh, and, and, you know, anyone with a small business that's had to let someone go knows that it's, it's never easy. Uh, and if you set yourself up poorly in terms of tracking an employee's progress and setting goals for them, uh, it makes it all the more difficult because you know that deep down it's really your failure. Uh, you failed to set the expectations. Uh, you failed to do the proper training. Uh, you failed to give, you know, monthly feedback and suggestions for how this person can improve uh, or do better at their job, right? Uh, you, you just kind of get frustrated, you get angry, things aren't happening that you think should be happening. And then it snowballs and eventually say, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this person. So that, uh, without question, is, is, uh, was certainly one of the biggest mistakes I think I ever made was not really thinking about that long term and uh, taking that seriously in terms of trying to help foster someone's growth within a company. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And what, what do you do now then? Like what's your sort of process or what's your workflow for, for doing effective reviews? Yeah. So uh, one, one uh, book I read that really kind of put things in perspective was uh, Extreme Ownership uh, by uh, you know, Jocko and uh, uh, I always forget the other guy's name. Jocko Wellick, and I can't remember the other, but it's a great book that kind of puts that in perspective that your job as a manager is to make sure that employees know what they need to do, that they have clear goals, and that you're on top of it to make sure that they're achieving them and that you're enabling them. Like we just talked about, you know, enabling customer service agents to make decisions, if I'm a manager and every two seconds, someone's coming to my office saying, Hey, uh, uh, I have this problem. Uh, this guy wants a refund. What do I do now? I'm being interrupted all day long. Eventually you just got to learn and say, listen, you make the decision. I, I, you know, I'm enabling you. I want to enable you. You make the decision. What do you think should be done? You want to give the guy a refund, give the guy a refund. I'm not going to, I'm not going to yell at you. You don't have to come to me for approvals for all these little things. Uh, another thing is, again, those, those reviews, whether they're quarterly or every six months, something where you have the opportunity to sit someone down and say, hey, listen, here, here's some places that need improvement. And uh, here's how you can try to go about improving those things. Uh, and I try not to impose what I think is the right way to do something because I've learned over the years, there's a lot of right ways to do things right, so I, uh, I I try to you know basically say you, here's an area that needs improvement. How do you think you can improve upon this? Uh, and if it seems even remotely reasonable, great. Let's follow up in a month and see how it's going, right? And it is more work. It's more work, but at the end of the day, you hope that you have a happier staff. You've got a staff that has direction and motivation. Uh, and, and they feel good when they achieve goals and, uh, you know, you'll feel good when you achieve your goals and when you work together as a team and you get these accomplishments, it really gives kind of a, uh, a nice feeling of pride and success in an organization when you're working in that team environment. Yeah. I would, I would like to change it a little bit. So I, I don't necessarily believe it's more work. I think it's the work you're supposed to be doing. I think that, too many, yeah, too yeah. Too many managers sit around and think that they're supposed to do 
or, or business owners even sit around and think they're they're supposed to do delivery, they're supposed to do all these things. But really, if you have a certain number of staff, right, like your focus should be on that staff. It should be getting the best performance out of them. That is right. much, much more effective from a business standpoint than trying to, you know, you squeezing out an hour to do something here or there. Like you're much, much better off um, actually getting your team to deliver better, right? Right, the yeah. And, longer and you, term, you, that brings you more. Yeah, you articulated it better than I did. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely, uh, I say more work. It's more work in the, in the sense that for the average business owner, they, they feel so overwhelmed with all the things that are going on, they start to ignore their staff. And, and more importantly, another thing I find is we, we talk about in the beginning of this, the communication between you know sales, marketing, and service, right? As companies grow and they start to scale larger and larger, uh, there becomes much more of a disconnect in that communication between the staff, right? So if you're a solopreneur and you decide I have to hire my first employee, it doesn't matter what that job is. It could be someone cleaning the floors, packing boxes, but chances are they're working in your basement with you side by side. And they know everything that's happening in the business, even if they're not a part of it, just because they're literally in the same room as you all day long, they know everything that's going on. Uh, then you hire another person, then, you, then maybe you move into a small office. And it's the same thing. You're in the small office, but there's four or five people. You see them every day. You're all talking to each other. Everyone knows what's going on. Then you scale into an office building that's two floors. Eh, now the people on the first floor might not really know what's going on in the second floor. Uh, and then as the business scales larger and larger and larger, this communication disconnect becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's where you really start to see those issues between marketing, sales, and service when those communication channels start to break down. So one of the other things I'm a, I become a huge proponent of is the internal PR uh, and, and internal communications. It's, it's something that a lot of, uh, you know, big corporations all do it, but the, the businesses that are scaling up, especially ones that started as a small business, they, they, it tends not to happen as effectively as it does in large corporations. And you forget that you're your employees and your staff are another stakeholder in the company. Uh, and you forget to give them the newsletter that you send out to your customers. And I, I know, you know, I've certainly been guilty of that myself. So another mistake I've made in my past that I, I tried to be a lot better with now. Yeah. So I would say, I mean, I, I worked even with some very big companies that sometimes made some very expensive mistakes, just exactly that reason, right? Like one of the companies where they were doing like a huge campaign and they were like, oh, you know, we really want to push this product because, you know, we have great margins on it and all that good stuff. And then they pushed this huge campaign, millions of dollars, and only to realize the product wasn't in stock and they hadn't actually checked with the manufacturing team if they actually had it, right? So that was literally just blowing millions out the window. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you see, yeah, you that. see it. You see, you saw Apple with the uh, with their charging magnetic charging station, right? They they promoted it, they announced it, and then it just never happened. Yeah. Got everyone excited, and the you know again, there's probably some communication or some excitement. Said, ah, no, we'll figure it out. We'll figure. It out. No, they couldn't figure it out, and they didn't do it. Yeah. Well, awesome to have you on, Justin. Um, been a good conversation, and I think. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely interesting discussion and a little bit different topic than normal. So that was very good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
If uh, people are eager to get hold of you, what's the best way to do so? Sure. My email address is justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, at marketingandservice.com. Uh, the website is marketingandservice.com. Uh, I also have a uh, Facebook group, marketingandservice.com Facebook group. Uh, so it, it's pretty easy. Well, I should say it's easy to find me if you use my name. A little harder if you just type marketing and service. A little SEO work I got to do on that. But uh, that, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me today. And for the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.